Breaking Bad Recap Season 5, Episode 13. Tohajali. Tojahili. To, 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 totally, totally <laughs> exhausted is what I am because I didn't get any sleep last night after watching this one. I'm Pete Fenzel. I'm really excited to be hosting these things for you. Either you're listening to us over our audio podcast channel, subscribe to us on iTunes, or you're catching this on YouTube live right now streaming, or you're watching the YouTube after the fact recap. We're glad to have you on board uh, as we uh, as we venture through uh, one of the most suspenseful episodes of television I think I've ever seen. Uh, definitely really thrilling and exciting. Uh, we, let me introduce our wonderful panel. Been through with us through the whole half season. Uh, and I'll, I'll start by saying, hey, John Parrish, how are you doing? Are you well rested? after the? Uh, talk? I, I can promise you I have not slept since seeing this episode. <laughs> I, if, if only because I, I saw it today. So. Oh, okay, okay. So you, yeah, you got, you, you're more recently. I, I was telling you, yeah, I joked with you earlier. You know that the, the version of it you watched was missing the last five minutes, right? Like, what? You know, yeah. No, great. No, they stopped it right there. What? Uh, <laughs> and Shana Blowski, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good, good. You, you sound very energetic. You sound like you're full of energy. Uh, I did stay up most of last night, um, but that was mostly because I was thinking about Lydia's uh, lipstick on the teacup. It yes. really got me going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it got you going? You were thinking of it from sort of like more of a sort of like a what like an inspiration for like a possible tone choice or was it just uh just listening sure, let's say that all right yeah. cool. <laughs> i was thinking about that a lot too but not for that reason uh, for different reasons i don't wear lipstick myself um but anyway yes so joe hodgley usually i like to jump off by suggesting a particular scene or a particular moment that i felt like really encapsulated uh, for me, or provided a gateway, doorway for me to get into this episode. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna punt, uh, much like the Giants did many, many times, or at least you know, intercept, throw an interception. <laughs> I did many, many times last night. Uh, you know, born and raised in New Jersey. Here we go. Uh, to Shayna, who's gonna kick us off to start the conversation tonight? Uh, I get sports references. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, well. Uh, instead of starting with a scene, what I want to do is explain first why I didn't love this episode until the awesome last uh, 10 minutes, but then explain why I'm totally wrong about not liking this episode. And that will bring us into what the theme of the episode is to me. So um, my problem with the episode at the beginning was it seemed very much like a procedural. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Jesse was being interrogated by those police officers who weren't Hank. And we were saying it was sort of like a law and order episode. And then Hank comes in and he's like, oh, no, we're not that kind of TV show. But in this episode, Hank was trying to be in a cop show, basically. Like you saw um, each step of the way it could have been on like NCIS or it seems kind of like burn notice episode because they're you know tricking people. They're taking pictures using uh, brains from the supermarket that seemed a very uh, Michael Weston sort of thing from uh, Burn Notice. So, um, and beyond that, there were a lot of contrivances uh, contrivances in this episode. And of course, uh, there are in Breaking Bad all the time, but usually I can overlook them. But I made a list in case you wanted to see them, um, which is uh, one, Gomi and Hank don't call for backup. Are you serious? Come on, guys. <laughs> Um, Walt, this one I kind of understand. Walt confesses all of his crimes in a single phone call. <laughs> That's dumb. Um, Brock some, somehow senses he, he's evil. Okay. I guess I could buy that one. Um, 
you don't get cell phone reception into Hajli until you suddenly do get phone reception there. Okay. Um, of course, the neo-Nazis with machine guns can't hit anyone, although maybe they did. Uh, and also, Todd suddenly has no aim, either. Uh, even though that other episode with the kid on the bike seemed to shoot pretty well. So, I don't know. And also, uh, Hank and Jesse's plan, I don't know how it gets Hank off the hook for Wald's DVD confession thing, but... Whatever, I guess we could figure that out later. So um, all those contrivances, plus Hank acting like this, uh, you know, NCIS type character was making me think this wasn't the best episode of Breaking Bad ever. It seemed very much like everything else on TV. Um, however, now I'm going to explain why I'm totally wrong about You're that. You're totally wrong I'm about totally that. I'm totally wrong. This episode was amazing. Um this episode focused on branding and they uh, really hit this point home at the beginning when Lydia was talking about the blue of the blue meth. Um, and then later when we're talking about uh, Walt Jr. saying have an A1 day. And of course, Saul brings up his uh, great catchphrase, better call Saul, probably for the last time in the show, which is a little <laughs> sad. Um, so, I think maybe this episode was not only about business branding, but also personal branding and taking control of the way others see you and the way you see yourself. Um, and in particular, Hank trying to take control of his brand, which was taken, that control was taken away from him by Walt. Um, he wanted to be this badass uh, cop figure. Um, and now he was able to take it back. He's able to read the Miranda rights. He's able to say ridiculous, um, like over the top lines, like, uh, nice try, asshole, um, <laughs> which seems a little ridiculous for a Breaking Bad episode to me, but you can disagree on that. Um, and then, of course, calling Marie on the phone in the most cliched, uh, you know, scene in the world, like, I love you. I'll see you soon, but not for a while. And also, I'm three days away from retirement. <laughs> and, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, I think what was happening here was that not only was Hank trying to control his own image, he was actually taking control of the episode of television. This is the episode of Breaking Bad that Hank would have written for himself. I was sort of <laughs> thinking of the movie Adaptation, where at the end, the twin brother sort of takes over the whole movie and makes it a very cliched action movie. So I think that's what Hank was doing here. Unfortunately, he didn't realize until the very last second, and Jesse uh, realized the entire time, that he's not in that movie. He can't control the show the way he wants to. And unfortunately, the Nazis are coming. You can't call off Nazis once you call them yeah. on. Once the, once the Nazis decide to show up, you can't really, can't really tell them to, to slow down. They've got this thing. Uh, what's the word for it? In uh, Blitzkrieg. That's the word yeah. I think. There's a there's a there's a funny or die video that yes, 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 that, yes. The, that the actor who plays Hank Schrader, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, recorded Demons. Demons. a couple weeks ago where he says, like, all right, you nerds, I'm tired of you harassing me on the Internet. I'm going to spoil the final episode for you. And it's it's clearly something like he shot with a like a video camera with him and also himself over his shoulder in a fake goatee playing Heisenberg. Where he's like, where he as Heisenberg is saying like, oh, you caught me, Hank. You're so much super cooler and smarter than I am. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, those minerals I bought on the internet gave me superpowers. <laughs> so you're right. This is very much like the episode of Breaking Bad that Hank would write if Hank were scripting his own destiny. That's that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, 
I found a different theme, but I like yours better, so I kind of want to stick with that as the real interpretation. I want to hear your uh, theme, because maybe I'll, we can I'll, connect I'll them. throw mine in there, yeah, just, just to add more more onions to the pot. So, like, like you, Pete, I was struggling to find the, the theme of the episode uh, early on. Like, I was struggling for a bit, like, oh, where is this? What, you know, because I'm, I'm looking for the, the overarching pin, same as you are, and I'm, I, I had trouble with it. But it was right about at the car wash that I, I sort of got the idea that the theme of the episode is finding out where someone is, pinning down someone's location, because it comes up several times. Uh, like the, the sort of crux of the episode is when Saul shows up at the car wash and he says, and, you know, he says he can't find Huel and Walt is trying to talk him down and say, no, 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 it's it's fine. Jesse, Jesse didn't go after him. Jesse, you know, wouldn't go after him. And Saul's like, all right, so where is he? And sort of leaves the question on that. And that's sort of like, and that's right about the turning point of the episode. That's right where, where shit starts falling apart. Because, you know, right after that, he gets the text message and the phone call. Uh, so that's that's sort of the question that's meant to linger in our minds. Where is this person? You know, Walt is trying to find Jesse. Uh, Saul is trying to find Huel. Uh, you know, Walt's, you know, Walt's neo-Nazis, uh, Todd and his uncle, his uncle Jack and them are also trying to find Jesse. Uh, Jesse and Hank are trying to find Walt. So it's all about pinning down someone's location. It's all about getting someone's coordinates, getting someone, you know, getting someone pinned down exactly in space. And that was another contrivance, by the way, because I totally Google mapped it. And Tohajuli is about an hour, 10 minutes away from uh, the ABQ. So those Nazis got there really fast. Just mm-hmm. pointing that out. Well, I mean, we don't we don't know how long Walt was sort of hanging behind the rock waiting for. Although they do imply that's a pretty short period of time. Although who knows where the Nazis live? They may live outside the outside the city, right? It's a big, it could be Native American Nazis, which are not in, well, they're <laughs> which are impossible. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, for me, and, and this is sort of why I came up short. And I love I love your guys' interpretations of it and the branding stuff. Definitely super important. I mean, for me, the scene that stuck with me the most in terms of like, okay, this is the scene that should help me figure out what the episode is about, but it isn't working, is the scene where Todd is sitting there with the coffee cup with Lydia's lipstick on it and listening to the Journey song, which like really jumped out. And it's like the same song. So it's Oh, oh Sherry, right? You know, our love holds on, holds on. And it's like, should have been gone. Uh, and of course, those are two things that are true of most of the people in the show is that they should have been gone and for some reason, whatever the relationship they've been in in the past continues, they despite it being a horrible idea for everyone involved. And then, and like Todd kind of looking down and pondering like the coffee cup and running his thumb along like the lip, <laughs> the like lip pattern of Lydia's lip. Um, and then getting the call from Walt and like not the radio doesn't even change. Right. And, and then that happens. But yeah, but that didn't for me present a, a unifying because I felt I also sort of felt that the rest of the episode up until the end didn't feel as coherent as a lot of the other episodes. It didn't, didn't feel as tense. It didn't feel as, as layered. And I, and I like Shana's explanation for a lot, which is that it was, it was an attempt to kind of wrestle events into a kind of show that, that, you know, characters wanted it to be right. Yeah. That, uh, and then it's about, and it's also about kind of frustrating the expectation. I mean, cause maybe at the end of the show is about the end of the episode. The episode is about the fact that it's a massive cliffhanger. And I mean, do you think if another show did this, like if I were watching, if you were watching, I don't know, pick any show, like, you know, Angel. <laughs> like, I guess Angel does it in the very last episode, sort of. 
um, uh, of Angel. But it's like, if there's any other police show, like The Shield, could any show pull off ending with like the way that this episode ended and me just not thinking it was just total nonsense? Well, you know? the... The X-Files did it several times, but it was always as a season-ending cliffhanger. Like, I'm thinking in particular of the of the season three finale, where Mulder is trapped in a railroad boxcar, and the cigarette-smoking man shows up, and he's like, oh, this boxcar is full of alien corpses. Burned. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God, what happens? Wait till next season. <laughs> so, wait, so what happens was an X-Files. Oh, sorry. Vince Gilligan was an X-Files writer, right? Am yeah. I yeah. That Are there any clues <laughs> to what happened at the beginning of the fourth season of the X-Files for how this is going to result? <laughs> did he burn the corpses? Were the corpses magically yes. unburned? Oh, he did. Uh, Mulder was somehow saved by by Indians, as it happens. So there we go. He was on an Indian reservation, much like Walter White, uh, mm. and is saved through their, their powers and through sunflower seeds, if I recall correctly. So I expect both of those to be prominent in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Native, Amer- Native Americans, magical powers, sunflower seeds. Yeah. I mean, I, I was definitely thinking about um, the, the mandate that Lydia gave Todd to tell Todd, you know, he needed to bring the purity up and thinking how that act did sort of cascade through the other uh, things that happened because I don't think without that mandate, which Todd is really invested in because he's a, a sociopath uh, yeah. and he really wants to get with Lydia now, apparently um, without that mandate, maybe Todd and his uncle don't go so far right as to chase Walt down in the desert. Maybe they don't set up the deal that they set up the way that they set it up where they demand that he cooks for them again. Cause it's like Jack in, is asking Walt to come back and tutor Todd, right? Like Todd is sort of, yeah. it almost feels like Todd might've asked for this. And that's yeah, just sort that's, of cascades. That's, down a, very good, that's a very good point. That makes a lot of sense. Cause, cause Todd, as we've seen is he, you know, as a sociopath, he's a guy who takes, you know, firmly stated rules very seriously with no exception. Like if you tell if you tell if you tell Todd that something is important, he's going to he's going to fulfill it to to the fatal you know extent of that of that rule. Don't uh, kill kids should have been one on that list, but yes. I guess Uncle Jack didn't get around to that one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, maybe you have to kill a kid. So nah, who knows? That happens. It's true. Uh, to talk a little to talk a little more about the Todd character, I mean, he's. You know, he's interesting and he has, you know, he he's sort of a pivot point for this episode if he's not, you know, a hugely motivational character. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, as I don't know that he's necessarily like falling for Lydia in the sense that you or I as as loving human beings or watchers of TV would recognize. I think like the lipstick thing is him sort of like explore like he recognizes that that's a gesture he should connect with like oh i'll bet like i'll bet like other human beings have emotional resonance by seeing you know the remnants of someone's lipstick on a cup i wonder what that's like oh it's a phone call i better deal with this now um because you know he's going he's he's going through the motions um and also one more throwaway reference because you brought up uh o'sherry uh, Pete, which is a, a Steve Perry solo song. Oh, my apologies. I, well, I've been well, actually. I apologize. No, 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 no. Because it's, it's important, actually, because, you know, Steve Perry obviously be, becoming coming to prominence as the lead singer of Journey. So, you know, very successful as the front man of a band, of a team, of a unit, uh, but then also going off as a solo artist as well. And like, you know, the question is, how, how well does he do as a solo artist versus his, you know, career as, as a member of a band, which of course, is what's being asked of Walt in this episode. It's being asked that he come back and, and perform as a solo artist uh, what he once used to do as a as a stadium-filling band. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I'm so Walter is sure that... Harry, and he's a bunch of alien corpses. <laughs> yes. so I'm, like, I'm not on board. I think this is awesome. Yes. Great. This, this is, is awesome. Steve Perry is going to save the day, but I mean, yeah, it's it. I'm, I'm. It's probably a coincidence, but it's, it's an interesting. It's an interesting bit of resonance. But yeah, awesome. uh, there's there's all that. So so, Shana, when you were talking about the branding, were you thinking about like the Gus? I can't get my arms in frame, and the way that they do it, the way he does it, when he walks out, when when Walt walks out from behind the rocks and tries to do the trick that Gus does, that makes him invulnerable to gunfire, where he walks out with his arms out like this. Oh, uh, I didn't even realize that. See, yeah, it's like the same. I need your memory, Pete. You got, you got no, a good no, you, one. I also went on Reddit and read a bunch of different image macros, so don't, it's not all me. But yeah, but like in that scene where Gus walks out and the cartel is coming after him, and he puts himself out like this, like shoot me, shoot me, right? And they don't. Um, and, and when Walt walks out, he does this sort of like feeble, he starts out with his palms out and open and sort of almost a gesture of like, put the cuffs on me of submission. But then he puts his arms up and sort of mock, mock gussitude in much the same way. Like, okay, this didn't turn out to be the story that I wanted it to be. Um, perhaps in an echo of the way that it then didn't become the story that Hank wanted it to be. Um, although maybe it's also ironic because Walt doesn't get shot as far as we know, right? Like, uh, it seems likely that Walt is, for some reason, not going to get arrested and not going to get shot uh, in a horrible way that he definitely would have preferred had not happened. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what other branding is there? We talked about Saw, we talked about A1, we talked about all that stuff, and what does it all mean? And like, why do you have a brand? Why do brands exist, as opposed to, like, images? Because one of the things that we've been talking about throughout the season is is um, the way that seeing a thing often demands that you take an action or change your understanding that there that there's an effect of of knowledge that kind of crashes through your reality and, and makes demands of you and i can't think of a better example than branding in terms of something that actually tries to do that right like you know if if the if the um the wad of money that the old man takes and puts in front of a headlight in that season and all of a sudden it's sort of like oh man this is a huge realization um, I mean, that affects his behavior a little bit, but the color of the type the typography on his toothpaste tube is going to make him buy the same toothpaste tube for 50 years. Right. So that's kind of powerful, too. Right. Um, branding is branding is sort of action at a distance. It's a way to extend. Like if you think of your sphere of influence as what's immediately within arm's reach and what you can conveniently walk to branding is a way of extending that of getting people to getting people to act as if you were in the room uh, even if you're even if you're not there i mean one one of the interesting things because the visual that brings us back from the credits which i know it is you know right after we come back from the credits we start with you know this i guess ground up shot of uh hank pacing back and forth but just this strip of blue sky above him which is obviously deliberate because the episode's very much been about the color blue and the cold open up to this point uh, and that's the visual because he's pacing under a highway overpass. Now, that's that's a particularly weird place to meet, um, especially for a DEA agent, unless you're concerned about surveillance. Uh, if you're concerned about any form of aerial surveillance, that's a perfectly sensible place to meet because, you know, no one's going to see that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so it's it proved like, obviously, I don't. I don't think Hank and Gomez suspect that Walter White, a.k.a. Heisenberg, has this network of satellites tracking their every move, but it proves that this is the sort of thing they're thinking about. They're thinking about the ways that Heisenberg can get to them, or even worse, the way the DEA can get to them. Because remember, this is all sort of like, 
vaguely under the DEA penumbra, but mostly not, just because obviously, you know, Hank hasn't brought in like the full extent of his DEA resources on this uh, because of various, you know, complications we've established earlier. Uh, so they're, they're being very cautious. They're concerned about how this will look to other people. They're concerned about the presence of the DEA, of Heisenberg, of their, of their brand, as you were. Yeah. I mean, there's a really powerful establishing shot in that sequence where they pull out and you see this this giant looming barbed wire in the left side of the frame. And then you see the highway overpass with the very prominent, uh, I actually even wrote it down, the numbers, just in case they turned out to be important. 14 feet and 10 inches is the clearance that that highway overpass has. And so you're sort of delineated very clear, like this is the limited space in which these characters are operating. And then when you cut back, to the overpass, another weird thing to sort of add a sense of tension and, and confinement is that the two cars have met facing each other. There's two vans that are parked uh, with their noses facing each other, which, of course, if you're doing it legally, never happens. Um, cars right, aren't right. supposed to be parked that way. So it's, it sort of symbolizes confrontation and also shows the way that things are kind of already um, not so much out of control as like, under the influence of forces from those that are not present that are making things happen in an undesirable way. Um, but then of course, like it isn't an episode really about building inexorable suspense. And if it's an episode where things kind of hang for a while and, and go through a couple of different moments and then the, the suspense really starts kicking up. Um, I wonder whether the, the line of sky above Hank was like the thin blue line, right? Like if, if we, we, you know, we see the, the cascading, well, meth come down and it almost looks like soap. I didn't know whether that was going to be the car wash or the, uh, the meth lab when, right, when yeah. the fluid started flowing down and it wasn't blue. And then the thin line that comes over Hank, you know, is bluer or, or bluish. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. You're talking about the overpass made me yeah. think of that scene where um, Walt is talking to Saul and you see um, the big billboard that Walt Jr. was mentioning um, with <laughs> Saul's uh, face and, uh, motto on it and i think uh that sort of gets at the theme of branding because uh branding makes you more than you are bigger than you are and we've been talking over and over again about um how perception is more important than reality in this show um and that's certainly true of the meth yeah the blue makes it bigger than it is more important than it is it doesn't really matter um, how pure it is, or uh, Heisenberg is a really good, uh, I guess, even a trademark almost, um, that makes Walt bigger than he is. Um, and I think maybe that's what the show ultimately is about, like on a base level, um, is how maybe if you want to say, oh, Breaking Bad is about America. So it's about an America where you're supposed to be more than you are, but it's just an image that's not, you know, backed up by anything. And it's uh, sort of a caricature and also um, maybe, well, actually, I'll well, have to it, think about this more. Maybe come back. <laughs> it makes it makes sense. It makes sense because, <clears throat> particularly in light of the last 10 minutes, which really is, you know, the crux, which really is the, 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 tight dense core of the episode and, obvi- and of course they leave that core to the very end where when walt emerges from behind the rock uh hank and gomez both have him covered like very precisely like they've got guns up and locked on him you know hank with his sidearm uh gomez with his shotgun and they have him tracked the entire way in uh you know and hank is giving him very precise instructions you know hands up you know walk this way stop turn around interlace your fingers walk backwards stop kneel etc uh, they're treating him 
I was reminded a little bit of uh, of Anthony Hopkins's Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, where they have this very particular procedure for how you bring this dangerous prisoner into and out of certain places. Like both these guys are treating him as if he's like a, an immensely potent threat, as if he might have, you know, Uzis strapped to, you know, the bottom of his, you know, Land's End shirt that he's going to whip out and, and plug them with, even though like stepping outside of the context of the, the drama of the scene for and the involvement of, of all the people present, this is an unemployed chemistry teacher with cancer who's just dropped the only gun he owns. And these guys are treating him like he's, you know, a rabid psychopath who's going to charge them at any second. So that's, that's very much a function of the branding of Walter White as Heisenberg. Like his presence is bigger than the space he occupies. They don't feel safe around him unless they have their guns pointed right at him. And he's doing exactly what they say. I'm thinking, and maybe this is just wishful thinking, because I really, really want Jesse to live, because I just, I need redemption. I need some sort of redemption arc here. Um, it's something in my soul. I don't know. Um, but I'm hoping that maybe Jesse is the way out, of the way that this uh, show is going to resolve itself, because he's the only character at this point who doesn't have a brand, or everyone, um, I said this last week, everyone has a different idea of who he is. Like, Skylar thinks he's some sort of child murderer, even though we know that he hates child murderers more than anything in the world. And then in this episode, um, Uncle Jack was like, all right, so what is he? Is he the Hulk? Is he Rambo? Is he James Bond? Is he just, like, some general badass? And um, we don't really know. When we see him, he looks like a scaredy cat. Is he a coward? Um, and maybe because he doesn't have a brand or he can shift between brands, that's um, how he's going to sort of blow up everything. He's, he's going to be the revolution. Or yeah. this is me having wishful thinking. There are characters in the episode who are very definitive about what Jesse is not. Uh, Gomez, you know, in that in that uh, tete-a-tete he and Hank have out, uh, on the overpass, you know, when Hank suggests, so let's listen to the kid's plan, Gomez has some very dismissive remark. I forget exactly what it is, but he's convinced the kid is not going to contribute. He's not a genius. He's not capable of thinking Heisenberg. Uh, and later, when when Walt is setting up the hit with, uh, with Todd's uncle, Jack, you know, Walt is very, very expressive, very definitive, and in fact, you know, comically wrong, that Jesse is not a rat. He's very insistent on that point. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, like if he if he were able to step if he were able to step back rationally and think about it, that would make the most sense. Like, you know, why is Jesse, you know, acting so distant? Why is he being so manipulative? Oh, because he's because he's a rat. Okay, that makes sense. But that everyone has a very clear sense of what Jesse isn't. Like, there's this territory they won't let him stray into, but no one has a very clear sense of what Jesse is. Yeah, it, it was in the first because we when we first meet Jesse early on. I mean, I can't get away from the scene where where Skylar is reading his website, right? And he's talking about, you know, all of the he's gonna he's a blue belt in karate, you know, and he's he's uh he loves milfs and all this stuff, and he and he's you know Captain Cook. That's who Jesse was was Captain Cook, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't there even a time where they bring up? I mean, I might I might even be imagining this, but wasn't there a time where they they brought up, you know, oh, if you were a big um, that must have just might have just been a conversation that I was reading on the internet where someone was like, yeah, it was a conversation I was reading on the internet was people were like, man, if Jesse were a big meth dealer like like Heisenberg was, what would be his name? And someone else suggested Captain Cook. That was his name when he was. <laughs> we don't even really remember. And then right. there's what happens 
this is what why this is sort of this is why Jesse hates Walt so much, or one of the reasons Jesse hates Walt so much. I always sort of felt the Brock thing was. I mean, it's there because the plot needs a really, really clear thing for Jesse to know. But there's so many other things that Walt does to him. I mean, really, it's the Jane story, right? Which is the yeah. story of how Jesse tries to establish kind of a new version of himself, a new personal brand, right? He's like, he's, he's, in, he's, he's working with Walt. He's got this new place on his own away from his parents. He meets this woman that he loves. Goes and- to an art museum. He goes to the Georgia O'Keeffe Art Museum, for goodness sake, and he does all these things. You know, that's that was another thing that kind of was echoed is the, the lipstick on the cup was a, somewhat reminiscent of the lipstick on the cigarette that Jesse finds in his ashtray of his car long after Jane is dead. Um, and, and what Walt does is, of course, he he strangles this baby in its crib. Right. He like keeps he always keeps Jesse from from growing up and individuating because he needs Jesse to be dependent on him. Uh, because he's going to abuse him and and use him and have this kind of you know relationship with him where where the control is something he needs and the power is something he needs so i mean that's kind of kind of the tragedy of jesse right is that like he's been robbed of this opportunity to establish himself as a person as a personal brand and how cheapening is it to talk about that as a brand but that is kind of i mean it's kind of a backbiting way of describing the weaknesses of such things and the vulnerability of such things and the way that such things can be applied in such cynical ways um, his personal brands. It's like with my identity, you know, who I am, myself, right? The brand and a self are not that different from each other in certain respects. I mean, one, one interesting um, element of, of, of uh, unless anybody want to jump on any of that sad stuff about, about Jane dying, we can move on. Um, but one interesting element of branding that I thought was, uh, the more I think about this episode, the more I feel like Shane is right on the money. And there's just so many instances of people trying to brand someone or or name someone in like a way that's really identifiable, like Brock with the Fruit Loops, like oh Brock's eating Fruit Loops, like that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But one of the one of the ones that I noticed was that when Walt is interrogating Huel, um, hey. or he's not interrogating him, when he's talking to Huel, you know what I'm talking about, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he's talking about Huel, he drops a whole bunch of hints that um, that Walt is really racist, uh, or or that Huel should cooperate with Hank um, because he's black. Uh, and he says, you know, he drops that Walt's with a white power gang. You yeah, know, I, I call that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely there's definitely a line where he says that Jesse is doing what Mr. White tells him to in a way that, that I kind of read as like, OK, I sort of see what Hank's trying to do to get inside Huel's head here. Yeah. Um, and of course, that didn't really work for Huel because that's not how Huel operates. What, he, what, what worked for Huel was seeing Jesse hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because Huel's kind of a big softy and he does and he's a protector. And that's kind of his job. Right. And uh the idea that QB left, that makes you all sad. Um, well, left or, or maybe, you know, vanished or maybe was next on the list because, you know, QB's, QB's his boy, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. He, he's from Boston. He, he moved somewhere warm. That's a, that's a perfectly reasonable – that's a reasonable motive. As far as motives for characters acting on this show, like those these deep Freudian psychological motives, like moving to Albuquerque because it's warmer than Boston – is perfectly sensible. Like that's that's the most transparent motive anyone has ever evinced ever on this entire show. And and, and you and I both know this, John, being in Boston, Greater yes. Boston, currently as the as the autumn sweeps in and we bust out our family Stark, our house Stark banners for winter is coming. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> um, I was thinking about uh, one moment, another um, another moment similar to that uh, is the uh, the when Jesse is talking to Walt on the phone 
And Walt says, you know, you're not hurting anyone but my family. Does he say that to Hank or is that to Jesse? I don't remember. He says that to Jesse. He says that to Jesse. Yeah. And but so but it, my children, you're not hurting anyone but my, but, or, but my, but my children, he says, children. because Jesse's response is like, oh, you want to talk about children all of a sudden. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, um, and so that is a, that is a, a branding that Walt has been using to shield himself mm-hmm. from responsibility the whole time. Right. And, uh, and if this is sort of about brandings collapsing, right? Like branding is failing. If they have to 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 Jahili, maybe maybe the reason that the word the name is so difficult to pronounce is because it's such a bad brand. And it's like, well, some things can't be branded. Like, you know, come to to Toja. Is it to Tohajili? Tohajili. So it's not so bad. Well, actually, that's an interesting case because Tohajali, um, I guess if you had a trademark, uh, the copyright wouldn't. Well, actually, I don't know the law on native lands, but uh, that's a place where the law is completely different. Uh, you have the tribal police, for example. So oh, yeah. they're sort of um, like outside of American capitalism, in a sense, or American governance. Um, on the other hand, Tohajali also has a different branding, and they mentioned in the episode it's the first place that Jesse and Walt ever cooked. So it has like this nostalgia branding as well. Um, so I thought that was an interesting sort of back and forth there. Is Tohajali sort of this otherworldly place that's um, you know outside of everything they know, or is it exactly what they know? Are, are we coming full circle to where we began from where we began? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because we're doing both, right? We're both yeah. in this totally strange place where nothing that we know is working, and we're coming back to a very familiar place where everything started. Um, it makes me, I mean, again, the branding, the moment where Walt is standing in front of the Coke machine, right? And it says ice cold on it over his shoulder, and he stares out the window, and it's like the Coke is branded as ice cold, and is he ice cold because he had the cold gun? Um, just so many moments of this where it's ironic. It's like bitingly ironic the way the people are identified. Yeah, Jesse's the Hulk. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Although one of the first things you see him do is jump out of a window in the show. So he's like, is that what the Hulk really does? does it for a long time, right? What? Does the Hulk do that? I, I'm not. No, 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 no. I just vaguely. That's kind of a Rambo thing. Yeah, jumping out of windows or, you know. Yeah. I don't know. He was sort of like um, scrabbling out the window, like a squirrel or a weasel. I thought. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was my like a, it's not good action hero branding, but it's <laughs> right. That's what he's doing. Yeah. It doesn't. Doesn't the Jack at one point say that there are too many savages out there when he's like referring to the people, um, like other people as savages, right? When yeah. He when he's talking about the idea of of putting of putting uh, of putting Jesse down cleanly. Like, you know, making sure he has a painless death. And Jack's like, yeah, you know, we, you know, he, I respect that. You know, I understand too many savages out there. And of course, the final gunfight is going to be uh, almost literally like it. It's literally a Western at this point. It's it's the law and the bad guys, the black hats shooting it out on Indian territory. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. And Uncle Jack and his pals, too, they're sort of a watered-down brand themselves. You know, they're Nazis, right? Um, of course, they're Nazis that are completely ineffective and have guns but don't know how to shoot them. And, you know, instead of having a whole country, they're out in the desert trying to shoot some kid. So they're trying they're also trying to be more than they are um yeah, they're, but they're, maybe they're gonna succeed anyway regardless. they're establishing the reich in essentially mexico 
Yep. <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, the, the, the Lone Wolf McQuaid references just, just keep coming. Yep. <laughs> There's just so many Lone Wolf McQuaid references. Uh, and as I did, I did watch that on Netflix, and I recommend sort of it a little <laughs> if you like Chuck Norris. As, as a cultural document, it's worth watching. I'll give you yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's notable primarily if you're doing a study of what people steal from Sergio Leone, which is something that Breaking Bad is also part of. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I guess, I mean, you know, on the internet, I saw a lot of branding of the Nazis as stormtroopers, right? <laughs> Which I, feel like, I feel like that intuitive act, like people intuitively identified the Nazis as stormtroopers in like multiple different popular image macros, right? Because they're just, I mean, they're so similar. They're shooting, they're shooting, they're shooting, they're not hitting anything. They're, you know, they, they're white power kind of situation. Um, them being these villains that you've never really met. Um and that was kind of funny. I mean, that feels like it has the same sort of ironic relationship with branding a lot of what we said. I don't think it's on purpose. I don't think Vince was like, should we maybe make laser sounds like <laughs> as they're firing? Uh, <laughs> should we have like a little a little robot Roomba come out, like Jesse's Roomba come out and like spin around and have its head smoke and then it like run off stage? I mean, one, <clears throat> I mean, this is, I, I can't even, I can't even divine what the connection is other than that there is a connection. Uh, we see two people donning bulletproof vests in this episode. Uh, Todd is strapping up while everyone is arming themselves right for the neo-Nazi raid. And, of course, Walt calls Saul out on Like, he plucks his jacket and says, are you wearing a bulletproof vest? Like, what? Like, Todd and Saul are the two characters who know there's a war on somehow. Mm-hmm. Walt, Jesse, it's somehow lost to them. Yeah. And I mean, okay, so we've talked about a lot of the significance. We have sort of found some thematic material, but I think we got to talk about like what's right in front of our faces as we're coming around to near the end of this commentary, which is what happens, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what happens? Uh, Shana, I see you're, 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 you've got something going. What what is your, what is your thoughts? What do you think happens after this? Well, I don't know. Um, my immediate thought, well, actually, no, my first thought when it happened was, ah, Ah! how many holy moments? How many holy moly's? There, there were zero holy moly's, but um, what what did I write? Because I have another one. Uh, I have oh, get out, get out, get out, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I take notes too, watching these things, and my notes say, "Call it off, call it off." OS, OS, OS. I don't want to get a lot of chili peppers from. Uh, oh, we're getting yeah, back like, again. Oh, I should have believed. Oh, myself. I have checked. I have checked the odometer written down a bunch of times that they should have checked the odometer of the van because when you rent a car, you have to enter the number of miles that you've gone. Yeah, that's and so if they checked the odometer of the van when Walt had rented it, which would have been on file with the rental agency, they could have drawn a radius of how far the van could have gone, and they could have that's determined. Smart. But yeah, should, they, should be a policeman. But most of it was yeah, exactly. Most of it is just like ah. ah Oh, it's blinded me with science. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. They're all dead. They're all dead. The Nazis are coming. My my uh, my second thought after that was, um, is this meant to be some sort of Bolivian army ending? Not that they're um, purposefully going to their deaths, but we're cutting off sort of mid fight. And are we supposed to assume that at least Hank and Gomez are dead? Um, or is this a way for uh, Gilligan and the other writers to get another one over us? Um, on us so uh i guess we'll find out Uh, my feeling is that hank's story could end here i would be okay with that because he did do what he set out to do which is get walt 
it didn't take, but that's all he really wanted. He was never going to get Walt in jail because Walt was going to die before that. So he really just wanted the ego boost of putting those handcuffs on. So at this point, if Hank died, I think, you know, that that would be fine. Uh, Story-wise, I would be sad, but I could see it happening for sure. Yeah. My my money is on. Like, I'll put my money down now. Next episode beginning with, like, Camera, sh- you know, camera low to the ground on some some aspect of desert terrain, like a cactus or a brown rock or some bit of scrub grass, and somebody crawling into frame. I'm not sure who, <laughs> I'm not sure how, but my my money is that's the cinemat- that's the shot that begins the next episode. Camera low to the ground, desert feature, someone crawling. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know who. I, I would even, I would even, I'll, I'll say this. It's possible that we don't find out. Um, it's possible that Walt runs, that Walt manages to get the car started or something uh, and just leaves. And that we yeah. don't find out what happens because they hate us that much that they would do that to us. Um, I mean, the one what? person who, who knows is what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Is it the one person who would know, of course, is Marie. Right, because she has the magical cell phone plan that lets you call to Hajali, which nobody else has. Uh, <laughs> friends yeah. and family and Native American tribes—they're all—they're all there for you. Um, is that she would she would know if Hank dies, Marie has to do something, and there's—I feel like that—that's because her story gets kind of really ramped up, and there's not a lot of time for Marie to do anything. Um, and Walt has to leave. I mean, it seems to me like it would be fitting for Walt to just leave and not even talk to Skylar or Walt Jr. about it. Just vanish. I think right? that's just, like, right. Just ghost it, you know, and, and, um, and then just never know what happened to him. And then, like, launch a just search for him. Like, Walt Jr. printing up flyers again. Like, have you seen my dad? You know, hanging them around his neighborhood like he did when he had cancer, trying to raise money for him. Um, oh, and also when he had gone on the fugue state. Maybe they'll talk about the fugue state again and how Walt has a tendency to wander off and get involved in drug-related crimes that can be hidden away as acts of chemotherapy-induced dementia. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. It would make my day if Marie did go through with her poisoning but poisoned Skylar because it would feel very um, Shakespearean and very King Lear to me. Um, Although Breaking Bad, I think we've decided, is more Macbeth. But... I don't know. It seems right that? somehow. I thought it was more of uh, all's well that ends well, right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I've always described I've always described Breaking Bad as as a as a sitcom told through the lens of Greek tragedy. So I mean, I, I think I think we see some of that there, where you know, very much the the Medea myth of you know the the you know the toxic mother, uh, etc. But I will also note that next episode is directed by uh, Ryan Johnson. Uh, director of uh, Brick and Looper, uh, who also directed uh, the previous episodes, uh, Fly, for instance, which was very much the the bottle episode where Hank, it's just entirely focused on uh, uh, Walt and Jesse in a laboratory for the entire episode. So if there's anyone who's going to do an episode that completely dicks us around and, <laughs> and denies us our expectations, it would be Ryan Johnson. So that Pete, your prediction could come true. Maybe. An episode is called Ozymandias, which uh, I believe they said this, that was the big theme or the big reference of this entire half season. So um, I don't know. I guess we're assuming that that's referencing Walt, but maybe they'll trick us and it's someone else completely. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to open with Todd having been torn up by gunfire and just, <laughs> just like, his, like his leg, legs are just standing. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One, one last, one last bit on Todd. Uh, 
I, you know, we've we've spoken ill of the uh, we've spoken ill of the internet in the past, and the way that various commenters react to Walt and Jesse and Skyler, et cetera, and like yeah, And if you you don't have to look far to find people who say like, oh, if only Walt were you know more were less connected to his family or whatever, like oh, he'd be so much of a hardcore badass. Or like oh, if only Jesse weren't so you know weren't so gullible, you know he'd be a hardcore drug dealer. So I'm like people. People who want the protagonist to shed more of their emotional human connections to be more effective at accomplishing tasks. And Todd is that guy. So, internet commenters, if you want to show where, where Todd is the hero, you know, we're getting close to it. Like, that's, that's the guy you're focusing on. That's the guy you think is the ideal, heroic, you know, supremely effective protagonist archetype. So... Keep in mind, you're rooting for a neo-Nazi sociopath, naive, kind of blonde, toe-headed teenager. Yeah, the spin-off Meth Damon is on the way, right? <laughs> I would watch that. Yep. All right, so uh, I think that'll wrap it up for today. If you have any thoughts about this episode, if you want to discuss the brands, your own personal brand, you want to work on your personal brand and get some feedback from our brand experts here at Overthinking It, and you want to come uh, come, come, join us, either we'll, we'll read the YouTube comments, we'll be checking out the comment threads on the site, make sure you subscribe to the TV recap uh, feed if you're getting these on audio, because that's a different feed from the podcast. So if you just listen to the TV recap feed, check out the podcast. You probably like that too. And if you have been listening to these, make sure you subscribe separately so you keep getting them. And then whenever the next big show comes out, you'll be getting those too, uh, which is going to be awesome because we're going to keep doing these. But for now, as we wait, exhausted and tense to find the result of this, uh, uh, this Tohajali showdown, this OK Corral, um, all that remains is to visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. And have an overthinking it day.